Hello, and welcome to a horribly nerdy podcast, a podcast that's so bad, horrible is literally in the name. I'm your host, Chris, and today we're going to be talking about... Roses are red, violets are blue, but the iris is the flower that will mean the end of you. You can run from Suspiria. Suspiria. You can hide from Suspiria. Suspiria. But you cannot escape. The only thing more terrifying than the last 12 minutes of Suspiria are the first 92. So this week, continuing along with last week's show of Italian horror, and because I watched this movie just recently, and I love this movie, and I mentioned this movie last week, we're going to talk about Dario Argento's Suspiria and what a beautiful, amazing film this is. Uh, this is the first in a trilogy that Dario Argento refers to as the Three Mothers Trilogy, uh, followed by Inferno and fi- in, two, in uh, 1980 and finally in 2007 by The Mother of Tears. Yes, we will cover those movies eventually. Uh, it has received ton of positive response for critics due to its stylistic and visual flair, use of vibrant colors, and an amazing score developed by Argento and rock band Goblin. This is one of the best scores for a film I've ever heard. I literally, I probably, uh, about every three months, I have to listen to this score. It's, it's fucking amazing. Susan Banyan, a young American ballet student, arrives in Germany to the prestigious dance Tan Dance Academy, a German ballet dance school. When she arrives, she sees another student, Pat Hingle, flee from the school in terror. Susie is then refused entry to the school and is forced to stay in town overnight. Pat, during her fleeing, takes refuge at a friend's apartment and tells her friend, something sinister is happening at the school. You must help me. She is then ambushed by a shadowy figure who stabs her repeatedly and drags her to the roof of the apartment, hanging her with a noose and throwing her through the building's skylight, which then impales Pat's friend with falling debris while, the, uh, while she's trying to alert others to the murder of Pat. And that's our beginning fucking scene. And it's one of the most terrifyingly beautiful shot things I've ever seen. And one thing, and yes, there are, there's a lot of gore in this movie, don't get me wrong, but it's, it's that old used over red and it's, it's beautiful. There, there is beauty in horror and I'm probably going to sound like a psycho saying this, but there is a lot of beauty in horror and Argento is one of the best at showing that. This is, if this wasn't a horror movie, 
just the way it's stylized and the way he, he shot these angles and these colors and all that. It's one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. I would love this film even if it wasn't a horror movie is what I'm trying to say. So, next morning, Susie returns to school where she meets Miss Tanner, the head instructor, and Madame Blank, the deputy headmistress. Tanner introduces her to Pablo, one of the school students, one of the school servants, I'm sorry. She also meets her classmates, Sarah and Olga, her new roommate. Uh, she experiences an unsettling encounter when one of the matrons, Blanc's nephew, Albert, before passing out during a dance class. When she regains consciousness, Susie learns that Olga has thrown her out of her apartment, forcing her to live at the school with Sarah in the room next door. No clue why that happens. Maybe I missed it. I don't know. Moving on. <laughs> While the students are preparing for supper one night, maggots rain down from the ceiling of their rooms due to a shipment of spoiled food in the attic, forcing them to all sleep in one of the dance studios. During that night, a woman enters the room, but is obscured by a curtain hung in the room. Sarah, frightened by her hoarse and labored breathing, recognizes her as the school's headmistress, who was supposedly out of town. Next, Daniel, the blind pianist, is abruptly fired by Miss Tanner when his German shepherd bites Albert. Then Daniel is seen stalked by an unseen force while walking through a plaza that night. All of a sudden, his dog turns on him and rips his throat out. Yes, Fulci and the Beyond definitely borrowed heavily from this trait. Uh, from this scene, I'm sorry. Sarah tells Susie that she was the one on the intercom. Oh, Sarah tells Susie that she was one of the people on the intercom who refused entry to Pat the night she was murdered. She reveals that Pat was behaving very strangely before her death and promises to show Susie the notes she left behind. Sarah then finds the notes and is forced to flee when an unseen assailant enters the room. They pursue her through the school before cornering her in the attic. She escapes through a small window before falling into a pit Yes, a pit of razor wire, entangling her and allowing her pursuer to slash her throat. Yes, this sounds like a slasher movie, and a lot of people will say this is a slasher movie. This is not a slasher movie, in my opinion, and we're going to get to why it's not a slasher movie in just a little bit. Susie then investigates Sarah's disappearance. Tanner tells her that Sarah has fled the school. Of course, Susie doesn't believe that. She can't. She uh, contacts her friend and former psychiatrist, Frank. Uh, he reveals that the school was an established Greek, was established by a Greek immigrant, Helena Marcos, who was allegedly a witch. She also prof uh, she also consults Professor Milius, a professor of the occult, and he reveals that a cousin of witches perishes without their leader, from who they draw power. Hmm, maybe something else is going on at this school. When Susie returns to the school, she has found that everyone has left to attend the Bolshoi Ballet. After being attacked by a random bat and recalling a conversation with Sarah about footsteps, she hears the footsteps, following them carefully, leading her to Madame Blank's office. Remembering that Pat uttered the words secret and iris the night before she was killed, 
Susie discovers a hidden door that opens by turning a blue iris on a mural in Blank's office. Susie enters the corridor, finds the academy instructors led by Madame Blank, plotting her demise in the form of a human sacrifice. So yes, Susie is meant to be a human sacrifice. Albert alerts Pavlos to Susie's presence. She hides in an alcove where she finds Sarah's rotting corpse. Pursued by Pavlos, Susie retreats into Helena Marcos' bedroom. She finds Marco sleeping, recognizing her as the headmistress by her labored breathing. She accidentally wakes her by breaking a decorative peacock with crystal plumage. Marcos renders herself invisible and taunts Susie before reanimating Sarah's mutilated corpse to murder her. Uh, we then have flashes of lightning inadvertently revealing Marco's silhouette. Susie impales her through the neck with one of the peacock's broken glass quills, and Marco's death causes Sarah's corpse to vanish. Suddenly, the school starts to implode and catch on fire. Madame Blank, Miss Tanos, Pavlos, and the rest of the coven perish without the power of Heleno Marcos to sustain them. She escapes into the rainy night as the school is consumed by fire. Yes. So, why is this not a slasher movie, in my opinion? This is an occult movie. And the reason I say it is an occult movie is because you have this coven of witches that are all preparing uh, Susie to be a sacrifice to Helena. Now, what does that sacrifice do? We're not uh, we're not 100% sure. I feel like it is a way to give Helena Marcos youth. That when she grows old, she must maybe inhabit a new body. Or maybe if uh, this human sacrifice then brings back her youthful appearance, possibly. Again, this is just my my theory on this film. But, yeah, I know there's a lot of quote-unquote slaying and slashings in this film. But I really think it's more of an occult, supernatural film. Because I don't think that Intruder... I think that is just Miss Marcos uh, inhabiting bodies to kill people. So... I still feel, I feel like it's all under supernatural influence, which is why I wouldn't necessarily consider this a slasher, in my opinion. Again, argue with me. If you, if you feel I'm wrong, let me know. I feel like this is more of an occult supernatural movie than a, just a run-of-the-mill slasher film. Uh, Jessica Harper plays Susie Bannon. Uh, Stefiana Cassini as Sarah. Flavio Bucci as Daniel, and we even get Udo Kier as Dr. Frank Mendel, although he is dubbed by Frank von Kublin, which sucks because Udo Kier has such a great voice, I don't understand it. Argento based Suspiria on, in part on Thomas de Quincey's essay Suspiria de Profundis. Uh, in Argento's reading the material, the three mothers generate and inhabit a cinematic world informed by Jungian archetype imagery, each holding sway over a particular city. So, uh, where, whichever city this, these films take place in, that master Suspirium, or the master witch, uh, holds a lot of influence over that city. So that's once the uh, witch is killed, of course, the power is gone and things happen. Maybe the towns don't aren't as productive. Who knows? 
All the actors' dialogue was dubbed through additional dialogue recording, a common practice in Italian filmmaking. On set, each spo actor spoke their native language. So, for instance, uh, Harper, Valley, and Bennett all spoke English. Cassini, Bose, and Bucci spoke Italian, and a lot of the others spoke just German. Uh, Argento expressed this one way with the fact that Harper's voice, which he liked, was not heard in the Italian market because she was dubbed in an Italian language by another actress. The dubbing was overseen by Ted Russoff, a prophilic voiceover artist based in Rome who supervised English dubbing for numerous European genre films, including the follow-up to Suspiria Inferno. Contrary to conventional wisdom, the Suspiria is entirely post-synced. The English language mix is actually not entirely dubbed and uses a fair amount of production dialogue on set, so the English-speaking actors, you actually hear their voices compared to the others, who are dubbed. The score, I cannot not talk about the score. The Italian progressive rock band Goblin composed most of the film's score with Argento. Uh, they had also scored his previous film, Deep Red, and went on to work with him many more times after Suspiria. Um, a lot of the compositions were created before the film was shot, so they would actually play the score during, during the uh, making of the, you know, when they were filming. So I thought that was really cool. It has been reused in multiple Hong Kong films, including Dance of the Drunk Mantis and We're Going to Eat You. Uh, it was released in Italy on February 1st, 1977. Uh, 20th Century Fox acquired the American distribution rights. Due to its violent content, they were hesitant to release Suspiria. But... They finally did through a shell company, International Classics. The original American prints were cut a total of eight minutes in order to receive an R rating. Which, you know, it's funny what, in terms of what films get away with now compared to then. Because, yeah, it's, it's, it can be very bloody, but there are so many modern day movies that are just gallons and gallons of blood and it's so funny to see these movie be you know these movies labeled video nasties or you know oh my god it's so gory and disgusting it's like wait have you seen modern movies anyways uh of all of our gentles films suspiria is the highest grossing in the united states and it deserves to be so it is a beautiful fucking film the colors there is I don't think there's one scene in this film that is not shot with this unique style of color, with this unique camera angle. Every single shot is beautiful. One after the next, after the next, after the next. And even the deaths, like I said, they're not shot for shock factor. They're shot beautifully. Yes, they are shocking and are terrifying, but the way he angles these lights, the way he sets up these shots, they are fantastic. They're beautiful. I highly recommend, highly recommend Suspiria. Uh, it's one of one of Italian horror's greatest. Argento knows how to make a movie, a beautiful movie of that. And Suspiria is probably my most favorite Argento film of all time. I definitely give this one five Coven of Witches out of five. Suspiria, find it, check it out. Let me know what you think. 
South Park The Stick of Truth is a 2014 role-playing video game developed by Obsidian Entertainment in collaboration with South Park Digital Studios, and it was published by Ubisoft. Of course, if you're a big South Park fan, then I highly, highly, highly recommend this game. It is really not for casual South Park fans. There's a lot of, well, there's a ton of South Park in-jokes. Uh, my favorite being the fact that the magic concept that you learn is uh, how to control your farts, <laughs> which to me was absolutely hilarious because, you know, I'm five years old. But uh, it's basically South Park meets Skyrim, whereas you are in a role-playing fantasy war involving human humans, a wizard, elves, and all kinds of craziness. You end up fighting aliens, Nazi zombies, and even gnomes. And even a giant aborted fetus from Kim Kardashian. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's this South Park game. Um, I was honestly surprised how entertained I was playing this game. I had an absolute blast. I love South Park. I I haven't been able to watch the whole series. I'm going to eventually, but even the ones that I catch, I find hilarious. And the, all the inside jokes. There's even side missions where you have to collect all the Chin Pokemons. You have to activate all kinds of stuff. You know, it, it, it's not necessarily a, a, a puzzler or a platform. It is more of an RPG where it's turn-based... Uh, fighting graphics and stuff but i i honestly i i had a blast playing the game it's played from a two and a half d third person perspective replicating the aesthetic of the television series of course you basically play as a new kid that has just rolled into town able to freely explore the town of south park interacting with characters undertaking quests accessing new areas um you can choose your costume, you can upgrade your costume, upgrade your fighting skills, upgrade your fart, magic casting spells, all kinds of stuff. Uh, you you start by collecting, or I'm sorry, you start by selecting one of the four character archetypes. Theater, theater, fighter, words are hard today, <laughs> you can select one of the four character archetypes. Fighter, thief, mage, or Jew, apparently, because, you know, that's what South Park does. Uh, each offering specific abilities, the new kid and a supporting party of characters use a variety of melee, ranged, and, like I said, magical fart attacks to combat with their enemies. I, <laughs> I fucking love this game. Uh, the game... Received a ton of positive reviews. Uh, Metacritic provided a score of 85 out of 100 from 48 critics for the Microsoft Windows version. 85 out of 100 from 31 critics of the PlayStation 3 version. And 82 out of 100 from 33 critics for the Xbox 360 version. This did end up garnering a sequel. Which was South Park, The Fractured, But Whole. Yes, South Park, The Fractured Butthole. And they s drop the whole uh, Wizards and 
um, you know, Wizards and Skyrim type style, and they go with a superhero type style. And because, unfortunately, there isn't a ton of talking about Stick of Truth, we are going to go into the Fractured Butthole. It's pretty much similar gameplay, similar story styles. They did upgrade the fighting uh, controls and the combat style. I'm not a big fan of it. Of course, probably just because I played this right after playing Stick of Truth. So the Fractured Butthole, it has a weird fighting mechanic, and I'm not a huge fan of it. Uh, I think if I had taken a break in between the two, then yeah, I probably wouldn't mind it so much. Again, you assume the role of the new kid. You pretty much start out, you're ready to play Dungeons and Dragons and Stick of Truth and all that, and then you find out that they are <laughs> all the kids in South Park are no longer interested in that. They are ready to play superheroes. So the whole thing is there is a cat that has gone missing and there is a hundred dollar reward for the cat. So Cartman decides to get the Coonan friends regrouped and they're going to hunt down this missing cat because it'll work for their superhero franchise. Once they get that hundred dollars, they can start working on each individual's Netflix series, which will culminate in its own cinematic universe, and they'll make millions of dollars. But it being South Park, you know, there's other things to contend with, like Professor Chaos. So you end up having to fight Professor Chaos and his minions. There's a whole crazy mafia police storyline and your superpower, this is going to sound familiar, is controlling your farts. But your farts, not, <laughs> not only are they used as a combat mechanic, they are used to control time. Yes, your superpower is farting to go back in time, to stop time, to slow time. Fucking genius. This is such... A blast. Again, these games are for hardcore South Park fanatics. I absolutely loved Stick of Truth and the Fractured Butthole. So this time around, you can choose from a nimble speedster, a short-range high-damage brutalist, a long-range moderate-damage blaster, a weather-based elemental, the Offense Attracting Cyborg, the Long Range Status Affecting Psychic, the Stealthy Assassin, the Gadget Using Gadgeteer, the Healing Plantmancer, and the High Damage Swift Martial Artist. At first, only three choices are available, the Blaster, the Speedster, and Brutalist. The new kid eventually does can access all ten classes freely, you know, then you can choose which powers and combats you want to use. He can... The player can also assign four powers from the classes, three regulars, and one ultimate attack. Ultimate attacks can be used after filling the ultimate bar. A pool of points shared between the new kid and their allies is increased by completing time button presses during attack and defending phases. So, again, it's another, like I was saying, another turn-based combat mechanic, but instead of on like a static plane, which Stick of Truth was... Uh, they're fought through a variable size grid, and you can move freely. And again, I, I guess, thinking about it, it, it makes more sense to do that compared to 
uh, stick a truth where it was just three people standing in one spot. You, you take your turn, you, you choose which character to attack. I guess it does make more sense that you can freely move. But like I said, I was just so used to stick a truth that just I wasn't a huge fan of this combat mechanic. But I think if I play it again, which I, it definitely has a lot of replay, replay value. You gotta collect all kind. You gotta collect cats. You gotta find stuff for. Oh my god! There's just so much to play in this game. I was gonna spoil something, but I decided not to. I'm just gonna say it involves Mr. Slave, and yeah, that is probably one of the grossest and funniest parts of Stick of Truth. Absolutely freaking loved it. <laughs> so, uh, the reception of this game, uh, it received positive reviews from critics. A review aggregator website, Metacritic, provides consensus, generally favorable reviews. Uh, this course was for the Windows, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One versions. Uh, like its predecessor, the game was considered a successful adaptation with Games Radar calling it the truest, best adaptation of South Park ever made with well-balanced comedy and humor. IGN saying it looks and sounds like an episode of the show. And it really does. It really, uh, with the cutaways and the uh, cutscenes and all that, it really doesn't feel like a video game. It just feels like a super long episode of the show. Boss battles were often cited as a highlight for their deviations from normal combat by introducing timed out-of-turn attacks, environmental hazards, and side tasks such as reaching the end of the battlefield before a boss catches the player character. The story received a polarized response. Reviewers alternately called it well-crafted and improvement over the stick of truth, uh, muddled and lesser than its predecessor. Uh, Game Revolution and Videogamer.com said the story was not as strong as its predecessor. Videogamer.com highly repetitive jokes as a negative. I disagree. Uh, I mean, uh, granted, whenever a player is up to turn, one of the other characters will kind of make some kind of quip. And yeah, those can kind of get repetitive, but when you, what I do like is when you switch around you can change different characters their little catchphrases will change as well i thought that was pretty fun um of course it did end up being being bashed because it's overall cavalcade of poop and fart jokes and of course a lot of people ended up saying it was absurd and it was overly graphic compared to the last one which in all honesty i think is it's an improvement of the show i thought Oh, sorry, it was an improvement over the last game. The last game, I didn't think, went as far as it could. Whereas this game, they decided, okay, let's... We don't want to make another one of these. Let's go as far as we can with offending people. Which is kind of basically how the show is, in my opinion. I, I love this game. I still haven't finished this game. I think I've got like three hours left. But so far, I love the game. I'm absolutely... I highly, like I said, I if you're a super huge South Park fan, check it out. Uh, there are a lot of uh, Let's Plays and stuff on YouTube, so if you're not sure if you'd be into it, I highly recommend checking out Stick of Truth and Fractured Butthole. 
Uh, check out those Let's Plays on YouTube. There's tons of them out there. Highly recommend them. But if again, if you're a big South Park fan, just buy the game. It's worth it, in my opinion. Play it. Let me know what you think. If you have played it, let me know what you think of both of these, Stick of Truth and Fractured But Whole. Curious what you think of it. So let's talk about some recent UFO sightings in Michigan. All these sightings come from the National UFO Reporting Center. So uh, this occurred on 8-15 of 2021 in Waterford, Michigan. Strange moving light in the sky. My children forgot to take my garbage cans to the road. I ran outside and took the cans to the curb. I noticed how strange the sky appeared. I noticed three moving lights very fast, close together in the same direction. I ran in to get my phone and back outside and started to film them on my iPhone. I quickly checked them up to being satellites or something else. Then I looked over on the other side of the sky when I noticed a strange bright light that moved and nothing I am aware of that is man-made could move like this. I filmed it and zoomed in and frankly got very, very scared. The light has three or more lights on it. If you go frame to frame, it disappears and reappears. I just shook it off and showed my children the video I just taped. They were freaked out. My husband travels for work and I had forgotten about it and I just sent him the video. He instructed me that I should report it. I feel stupid, but I know what I saw and I have the video of it. I got so scared I stopped filming and ran into the house. Uh, if you're listening to this and you're wondering if you should ever report a ghost sighting or a Bigfoot sighting, don't ever feel stupid. Every, everyone has their own strange story. Never feel stupid for sharing your story. That's one thing that, that comes up in this theory way too much. People get way, way, way too scared to report their sightings. Never be afraid. Some people will judge, but most people will listen, they will be fascinated, and they will believe you. Hey, uh, future Chris here. Um, a little bit ago, I, I said uh, that's one of the things that happens in this theory. What I meant to say was community, so forgive me for that one. Uh, basically, what I'm trying to say is don't ever be scared or, or afraid or ashamed to share your story. That's one of the biggest problems in this community is people are, aren't willing to share their story because they're afraid of being shunned and whatever. And it's At this point in this day and age, just... Tell your story. It deserves to be heard. And you never know. Someone might have a very similar story. They might have seen the same thing you have. And it's nice to share that information to see if... Uh, this occurred on August 15th of 2021 in Hillsdale, Michigan. A large metallic reflective disc-like object flying low overhead seemed to be following the direction of the, nearway, of the nearby highway. My girlfriend and I were looking at the stars while letting our dog out. We were seeing shooting stars occasionally and pointing them out. Then I noticed something strange moving and asked what it was. My girlfriend looked in the direction I was looking and also couldn't tell what it was. It was a metallic or reflective disc-like object flying lower than a plane, possibly about the same height as a low-flying helicopter flew over our apartment building toward the tree line about as large as a commercial aircraft, absolutely silent and moved unlike any man-made aircraft I've ever seen. It went north and then changed direction diagonally to the northwest, like it was following the highway below. No lights on the craft seemed to be a metallic silver, 
but was reflecting the yellow light of the streetlights below. It wasn't going super fast, but it was going fast enough that the sighting didn't last long, especially since it was hard to see once it passed the tree line. Both of us weren't sleep deprived or intoxicated in any way. We discussed what it could have been and stayed outside longer, hoping we might see more. Uh, this next report comes from September 11th, 2021 in Grand Rapids, Michigan. On September 11th, 2021, I was awoken with a sprinkler system turning on at 4.20 a.m. A beam of light coming down from the sky shined into my window, and it was a blinding, powerful light that I could not look into. I squinted my eyes to see what was going on and saw a cluster of light shining down from the trees above. I noticed there was some noise out on my patio. My Weber grill lid was chattering up and down. Also, I have some metal art. Uh, two by three feet that was bouncing against the patio wall. There's a metal watering can that also was jumping up and around and against the cement on the patio. It only lasted for about four seconds, and as soon as the light went dark, I looked up and saw a huge round saucer-like object moving very slowly across our condos. I got a picture made notes of what happened. My left eye was burning for about four days after the incident. I also noticed that the animals behind my condo in the forest were dead silence. Kind of an eerie quiet. Interesting. This occurred on September 12th, 2021 in Kalamazoo, Michigan. One black circular dish-shaped craft with a ring of red, blight, uh, with a ring of red, blue, white, and green lights around the sides and underneath was hovering low about above the tree lines heading southwards emitting bright beams no sound and it took off as quickly as it appeared uh, this occurred on september 13th in manistique i was in my heart i was in the yard of my house and took a photo of a stationary object in the northeast night sky it appears in the photos to be circular with a geometric design in the center this sighting occurred on September 25th of 2021 in Dearborn, Michigan. Hello, I live in West Dearborn, Michigan, bordering on Detroit. I've been watching the skies every night, and I keep telling my daughter I would love to spot a UFO one day. <laughs> then, of course, one day it happens. My daughter was screaming, telling me to come see a UFO. When I came outside, all I saw were streaks in the sky that are something I've never seen before. First, I just thought they were clouds but they weren't because it was a clear day with no clouds in the sky. Then I thought it was a jet trail, but it couldn't be because there were too many on top of each other, and some of them weren't even connected. I told her it's not a UFO because they are not moving. Well, of course, then I looked up and saw a black object flying high in the sky around planes, and it looked like possibly a mothership with another small object that seemed to hover around the bigger object and maybe even through it. It was definitely not a plane. It had no lights or sound. It was the most amazing thing I ever saw. I'm wondering if the streaks in the sky had something to do with the UFOs, but everyone I asked tells me, you really got something here that's unique. Uh, this happened on another, oh, nope, this is the same one. This happened on September 26 in Fraser, Michigan. Uh, a still bright light or chrome object was seen in the sky. Seemed fairly close and low. Two minutes later, a second one appeared. 
Eight minutes after that, they zipped off and disappeared very quickly. I heard no sounds. This occurred on September 30th of 2021. I was in my backyard walking my dog. I was just looking up at the sky when I turned my head to the left. That's when I saw the object. It was moving rather slowly to the east. It was a glowing bright white light, oval in shape. At the same time, an aircraft passed under the object going in the opposite direction. The object maintained its course for a few seconds when it changed color to dull red, continuing for about five seconds and then the color slowly faded out completely. I was in the military and have studied aircraft for most of my life. I did not hear any sound from the object. This occurred on September 30th again. Uh, I'm I was taking the trash out to the end of my driveway. I looked up and saw the Big Dipper in the north sky. In the tail of the constellation, I saw what looked like a normal, typical satellite. It was very bright, single light compared to the other night sky, and it was moving eastward. It was about as bright as Venus appears. I watched it for about 30 seconds. What alarmed me is that I've seen satellites before, and they always moved at a steady rate and in a straight line. This, however, was not moving in a straight line. While it was moving east, it was also moving up, then down, then up, then straight, then left to right. It was almost like kind of a waveform pattern, but it was not a constant, consistent pattern. It was more like a heartbeat. After about 30 seconds, I went to the house and asked my wife if she wanted to see a satellite. I went back outside. It was still there. I viewed it for about 15 more seconds until that my until that time my wife arrived outside. Upon her arrival, I took my eyes off the light in the sky. When I looked up, it was gone. She never witnessed it. I saw it for about a total of 45 seconds. The overall time that it was in the sky from when I saw it until it was gone was about a minute. Deduct 15 seconds from when I walked away. There was nothing in the in the way like trees or buildings that would have caused me to not see it anymore. As I'm writing this, it's been about 45 minutes since the viewing, and it gives me chills to think about. I've never seen anything like this in my lifetime so much that it made me want to report it. And the final one for today happened on July 5th, 2021, in Detroit, Michigan. Saw in the sky three star-sized star lights moving rapidly and smoothly in a reverse triangle formation. Checked my phone compass and it looks like they were headed south. Night sky was overcast and stars are hard to see from light pollution. Only noticed the lights because they were moving. They were visible. They were about as visible as the brighter stars. There were no other aircraft noticed in the sky at that time. Well. That has been episode three of a horribly nerdy podcast. I hope you have enjoyed it. And next week, we're going to be talking about the film Psycho Goreman. When a little girl unearths an ancient alien overlord who is destined for war and conquest, what happens when the bratty girl has control of the alien overlord? We'll find out in Psycho Goreman. Man.